Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, July 4th. Happy Independence Day, or 4th of July, to our neighbors to the south. And I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? With an extra spring in my steps, feeling a little lighter. Uh, (laughs) Of course, that's because I got a giant monkey off my back today and did a Costco run that's been about a month overdue. And uh, took a friend with the deal that they would Uber me to my apartment and then Uber themselves to their apartment, which was wonderful after many, many trips um, of only taking out of the aisles what I can fit in two grocery bags and then carry on the metro, as well as about 15 minutes of walking. Uh, So going up and down the aisles without that constraint was freeing and surprisingly not as bad as I thought for the wallet. So that feels okay. Okay. Nice. Very nice. Damage was done, but I think it'll no question it'll pay off in the long run uh whereas the last time i like spent that kind of money it was a lot of stuff like freezer bags tin for like laundry pods stuff that you've got to buy but you don't really have the same gratification going through as like a hundred dollars of meat that goes in your freezer yeah gotcha i gotcha very nice very nice so then you are prepped and ready for the uh the summer months here that's right. Uh, got another 50 Heinekens, though that's not what I'm drinking at the moment. So uh, at least one summer month get through. There you go. There you go. Very so nice. These park days started happening. My Heineken consumption like tripled and I went through what I had left so much quicker. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I uh, enjoyed the rest of my long weekend. Um Got to relax yesterday, took in a very exhilarating uh, Formula One race at Silverstone. Um, it's an exciting last 10 laps in that one. Uh, went to another Highland Games on the Saturday up in Kincardine, uh, Ontario, which exactly. is very nice in the summer, but I, I would not recommend going in the winter. It is in the middle of nowhere up north on the lake there. Um, nice spot and and good times, but it's a bit of a hike, more of a hike than we were anticipating. So made for a long day. Yeah. And then today, a uh, nice quiet day uh, as our neighbors to the South are celebrating with fireworks and uh, hot dogs, choey chestnut. I don't know if you saw that clip, Max. Um, that the guy doing a lift in a boat shooting fireworks. No, no. He's the greatest athlete of all time. The Nathan's hot dog eating champion. Ah. Uh. I did hear someone talking about this at some point today, but I know nothing. So the goat retained his title with 63 hot dogs and also mid competition strangle choked a dude who was trying to protest in the middle of the competition. (laughs) It was one of the most American things I've ever seen. Uh, Just stuff in his face with an 18th hot dog. A guy runs up with a sign accidentally bumps into Joey. He turns two hand bear hugs around his neck and then, sends the guy to the floor um yeah <laughs> what what a, what a scene what a scene 
I'm going to make you cringe, but I think actually the most American thing was the events in Chicago today. But I can't help it. We yeah. can along with sports now. Yeah, that's... Uh, everyone has an opinion. There needs to be change, but that is not... Uh, yeah, that's not the platform on today's show. Um, happy to talk about that with you offline. Today, though, let us uh, assist in uh, providing entertainment and hopefully an escape for those who have continued to experience the hard times there uh, in the U.S. while they celebrate their their day of freedom um, and uh, talk some sports as we dial down here. Uh, I made a massive error (laughs) this weekend at just assuming that the draft was on tap. Uh, It is on thursday uh the 7th so still a ways away but we will get to talk about it on our next show uh in the meantime we do have some transactions in the nhl to talk about some transactions in the nba as well and then a fun run by uh by everyone's favorite tennis player if you are not a fan of tennis um, a lot of casual fans drawn in by the uh, chicanery of one Nick Kyrgios. Uh, and so we will we'll have a discussion on that as well. Max, I, I leave it up to you, but where where do you want to start on this one? We don't have to we don't have a, a structure of sorts for the pod today. Yeah, we, I, I think as we get into the end game of Wimbledon, it deserves to headline the show once, but uh, we can stick with how we the formula we've been going we're in the off season basketball hockey definitely the main sports um as i was saying to you before we went on none of this stuff really moves the needle but it's all small good gm moves um working with what they've got i I do think we're still waiting for the kd news and then there will be a Mm. flurry of activity in the nba following that but um we can all these small pieces in their place we can go through and then we'll get to tennis at the end sure i'd love it i love it all right basketball transactions here i'm gonna run through a list tell me any that stand out to you that you like that you don't like um as we run through it's been a pretty quiet day today but over the weekend we saw patty mills return to the nets we saw darius garland receive his uh rookie max extension JaVale McGee to the Dallas Mavericks. John Wall signs with the Clippers. Tyus Jones stays in Memphis with the Grizzlies. Victor Oladipo stays in Miami. The Minnesota Timberwolves make another splash and get Kyle Anderson. Um, And then Isaiah Hartenstein, one of my Raptors uh, wish list items, ends up with the Knicks. And Bamba, Mo Bamba, further down on that list, ends up in Orlando. Max, any of those names stand out to you in terms of – moves that you liked or didn't like yeah um, like all of these i like none of i mean they're all such low risk in mm-hmm. like none of these are putting a dent in your cap space that's really gonna put a stranglehold or the value you're getting for the small chunk of cap space all of these contracts are all seem worthwhile to me um more worthwhile than not um, I guess Kyle Anderson seems like the safest, best one. Just anytime 
you can get a contributing player to a deep roster that had good regular season and playoff success. Um, nothing to turn up your nose at. Uh, likewise, JaVale McGee to Dallas Mavericks, a player who fits well within an established role, um, goes to a team who's lacking in that role, so hard to turn your nose up at there. As long as we're talking about the Mavericks, I don't think last pod we got to talk about uh, Jalen Brunson slipping through their fingers and going to the Knicks, so I'll throw that one in there just to touch on it quickly. Uh, Brunson, who really impressed me at least this last playoffs, goes with the Knicks for less money than the Mavericks offered. He really had his heart set on playing for the organization his dad played for. Uh, it's a tremendous pickup for the Knicks, I think. Um, the playoffs too short a time span to definitively know what kind of asset you're getting. Um, but a guy who can play solid defense, happy to bring up the ball, create his own shot, has the playmaking vision. Um, I don't want to hype it too much, but this could be exactly what uh, Julius Randle needs and someone to carry a lot of the load and let him shine again. Uh, I think part of the success we saw Siakam have this season was due to a lot of different players coming forth on the Raptors and giving him some space. Uh, and these two have been not step for step, but Julius Randle has been like step for step, two steps back of Pascal, like throughout the trajectory of the last two, three years. Uh, and then picking up a player who was on your Raptors wish list, I can only think bodes well for the Knicks. Um, so one to take a second, appreciate the off season they've been having so far. And then I like Wall to the Clippers as well. Um, just getting a solid point guard who's probably undervalued due to the way the last few years have played out. Um, just add some depth, some, someone who can bring up the ball for you. Never a bad thing to have. Uh, did I get the ones that stood out to you or did any of those impress or the other ones impress yeah. you more? Uh, definitely the Kyle Anderson one. I loved having another wing to add uh, to that team. You, you can never not have enough wings. And like you said, he's a proven contributor, two-way presence, uh, doesn't need the ball to be effective and, and keeps the ball moving. And in, in on a team that has three ball stoppers in Russell, uh, in Edwards, in Carl Anthony Towns, he's a good glue guy to connect that team together. So um, I love the pickup there. And then Tyus Jones uh, was excellent in Memphis and, and them getting him to stay and, and be that backup guard when he was looking for a bigger opportunity says a lot about their culture. And um, they brought him back and, and I, I like the signing there. JaVale McGee signals to me that Christian Wood will play the four uh, for Dallas and then maybe they'll end up going small ball five because McGee's a guy who you can start games with and you don't have to finish games with him um, but he's a, a piece that has now played for many years in a specific role and and can be their true seven footer uh, to contend with a lot of the starting centers in the league so um, yeah not a bad a pickup there I'm a little bit cooler on the Jalen Brunson signing than perhaps you are I'm in wait and see mode if he can develop into a true point guard uh, and really know how to run an offense. I like the fit a lot better. 
I just think he needs the ball a little bit too often. And that's either going to take away reps from RJ Barrett and, and Julius Randall there, or uh, they'll be taking away his opportunity, which could ruffle some feathers. So I'm, I'm just curious to see how these guys fit. Cause Brunson to me just feels a bit more score first. Now, it could end up turning out to be well, but it, it's a it's a rather large extension that they've made after spending a top a lottery pick to get off of Kemba Walker and, and missing out on Jalen Duran. They also signed Mitchell Robinson to a bigger deal uh, that replaced the Noel and Rose contracts, and so or sorry, not Rose Burks, but um, yeah, some some solid signings for New York, but I think they just they had to make a lot of these moves to undo previous moves they've already made. And so I just, I don't know how much this team's needle moves with a, with a Jalen Brunson coming into the fold. I don't know how much he raises their ceiling, a good player, um, but he, he'll need to be that true point guard for things to, to really work out there uh, in New York. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I, I think the playoffs showed some of the potential he has. And um, just to rebut one of your points a little, um, he was able to share the court with Luka Doncic and still operate effectively in the offense. Um, So I think he has shown the ability to be as selfless as he needs to be offensively and still be there as a second, third option when the primary isn't working out. Um, but for this deal to really exceed, I agree with you that he has a couple step forwards to make and that true point guard, point guard role where you are 100% of the time the man who takes the ball up, not in replacement when the guy isn't doing it, is going to be two vastly different things. And um, that is going to be a step forward he has to take. Awesome. Speaking of steps forward. That is going to be well on display uh, over the next two weeks as the Las Vegas Summer League kicks off for the NBA here. Uh, Lots of opportunity to get our first look at the rookies uh, drafted in this year's draft. Lots of opportunity to get the step forward of some second-year players uh, and then some veterans as well, always getting some run in Summer League. Uh, A good time. No expectations. Uh, Heard a great thing today from uh another podcast on on the ringer nba show was only only uh care about summer league if it enhances your opinion of a player um otherwise disregard it i think that was ryan rosillo who said that um and so i will be tuning in to our toronto raptors team who uh who has put together some some interesting pieces on the summer league roster. And of course the big names to look at Delano Banton, of course, last year's uh, second round selection, who, who was uh, off to a hot start beginning of the year, definitely got less run, but the upside you, you can see with him um, just the, the six, seven wingspan being able to handle and play make and, and play a little bit of defense. Some other notable names from last year's team, Armani Brooks, Justin Champagny, uh, as well as David Johnson, guys who spent time with the Raptors and and the G League. And then two newcomers, uh, really exciting to see. Christian Coloco, of course, uh, the Raptors draft pick in this year's draft, uh, the the center, seven foot one. He's the tallest guy on the team. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he shows off in summer league from a defensive perspective and, and see if he is working on that range a little bit as well. 
um, as well. Ron Harper Jr., an undrafted signing uh, from the Raptors that they got out of Rutgers at the end of the draft. He'll he'll have an opportunity to show off and see if he can uh, grab a spot, a two-way contract possibly on the roster. And then Jalen Sims, who had a couple of awesome games in summer league last year for the Knicks, a guy that stood out to me um, as a as a high-energy big that could be a good third center to bring in, uh, in, in the event of an injury that gives you some energy off the bench. Just another guy that could fit well in this Raptors system. So some interesting players to take a look at in summer league and always fun to see how your young guys stack up against some of the other rosters uh, in, in the NBA. On that note, uh, we will finish up in basketball here and move along to the NHL, where uh, we're also going to talk about young players. The NHL draft, of course, on Thursday now, um, uh, or not now, it always was. I just got it mixed up. But uh, we did talk about the possible number one drama in our last podcast. Talk a little bit more about the top of the draft there. Uh, it is rumored that the Canadians are trying to get another top 10 pick. Wouldn't that be awesome uh, for the city of Montreal if if they were able to get two top 10 talents uh, in this year's draft in front of their home fans. It also feels like the Coyotes uh, could be in the position to do so as well. They have seven picks in the first two rounds this year that they could kind of string together like a Oklahoma City Thunder into uh, something a little bit higher value uh, as an asset. So look for those two teams to potentially drive up uh, the cost of, of a top 10 pick bidding against one another. And then what that means for Montreal and for other contenders uh, interested is that they could have some pieces on the move to, uh, to playoff teams. Christian Dvorak, Jeff Petrie, and uh, Josh Anderson are three guys that, that could be moved um, at the draft in an attempt to pick up another uh, high pick there for the Canadiens. And then the last bit of drama there in the top five where Simon Nemec will land uh, the highest-ranked defenseman in the draft. Uh, Arizona, New Jersey, as well as Seattle have all indicated interest in drafting a defenseman. And so um, if you're New Jersey initially, you think about potentially trading back to get your guy uh, and get some value, but it seems like the two teams behind you are also interested in picking the same player. Uh, and, and so in the end, New Jersey might be forced to either reach and, and pick him a little higher than they would have liked, or you go with the best guy on the board and, and wait for another defensive prospect you like later in the draft. So interesting to see the strategy that those teams take, uh, as we, as we head for draft day. Yeah. Something to keep an eye out on and reflect once all the events are done. Thanks for that. Moving along here, uh, some topics of note. Rick Bonus uh, is the new Winnipeg Jets head coach uh, coming over from Dallas. Had a pretty successful tenure there, but going to bring a defensive-oriented style hockey. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to fit in with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley and uh, a lot of guys on that Jets team who are allergic to defense. So uh, it could either go really well and they learn a system or it could go terribly and uh that coach could be at the door interesting to see what happens there um nick paul gets a it is a, a great 
been a great couple of months for Nick Paul. Uh, goes from Ottawa to Tampa Bay, a much better situation there. Has an awesome run, makes it all the way to the Stanley Cup final, unfortunately falling short. But doesn't even matter the money. He gets a seven-year deal, just the term itself. You get locked up. You know you're going to have wealth for the rest of your life. That's a big contract. Um, and the Lightning obviously see a lot that they love in him. Uh, there's not much to not like about his game he's a big power forward uh he can be physical he can also score um in multiple places on the ice and so uh that's a great guy for tampa to pick up as they continue to extend their window uh and so regardless of the 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 turn or the salary there it's great term for nick paul and if you're tampa bay i i mean i it's a guy you like, obviously. I just don't know how often you're giving out seven-year contracts to guys who aren't going to play on your first line. Yeah. And what I actually didn't see the cap hit anywhere. Uh, I think, I think it's in the three to 4 million range, but it could be oh, higher than that. You're, it, you're not going to have any trouble moving that contract. Like 3.15. Oh, that's why not? Just the term. It's a lot to take on. I, I think that's so low risk to move though. Like like even, even if half your players leave, like your core leaves you, the other half gets injured, you're forced into a rebuild window, you have no trouble flipping that for an that's, The thing is with a player of his style and playing bottom six forward, you run the risk of having to pay him five years when he could get an injury and then not ever like you could be paying 3.15 million to a fourth liner, which is just not financially feasible in, in the modern NHL with the salary cap. So that's the risk you run there. They obviously like his physical um, and think he has the potential to last for seven years in the NHL, but that's always the risk you run when you, when you sign those long-term deals. It is a blind spot of being a Toronto fan. You don't really think about the risk of paying like paying players who don't hit your salary cap. Well, I mean, they're feeling it right now with the big four, some big contracts there that, Oh, oh for sure. I, but like, it was never any skin off our back that we were paying loophole for however many years. Yeah. When he was well, on our roster. It's one thing to LTIR a guy, but if he, if Nick Paul is still a player for you, but only plays on your fourth line, that's kind of worst right. case scenario. Yeah. I guess. Um, I think uh, sliding into another point, they're pretty decent at assessing where their players are at and moving them before they hit that uh, veteran, feeble, Keith Yandel level. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Ryan McDonough is quite Keith Yandel, but that is the next move here on our list. Traded to the Nashville Predators, a team noted for <laughs> trying to make some splashes on their on their D-line uh, the last couple of years. Uh, they do trade him for a defensive prospect or depth defenseman, probably their seventh D, uh, who who played I think twenty games last year for Nashville with with six points. So not going to wow you, but some defensive depth there. As as you imagine, Calfoot is going to get a greater role uh, on this Tampa roster as he continues to get older. We didn't see him a lot late into the playoffs, but. Um, it looks like they're moving off, save a little bit of salary with McDonough, opens up for another piece that they could bring in this year. And then uh, then they get a second rounder. Um, don't know too much about the upside on a mismatch. 
I think is his name. Uh, but um, yeah, it seemed feels like they maybe could have gotten more for him, but they move off at a good time. And I guess the biggest piece there was they needed to get off the salary and no one was going to offer them better than that. No one's going to help out the lightning at this point, or you'd hope not at least. Yeah. Teams still seem to be willing to take a first rounder for some significant playoff run contributor every year though. Um, But yeah, I, I like this move just because you get ahead of father time. Like, Yes, McDonough still has some value, will contribute to your team, but it's probably sooner rather than later that that contract becomes hard to move. And um, getting ahead of that problem is how teams extend their window. There you have it. Uh, From the east, southern east, all the way to the north-northwest, the Vancouver Canucks re-signing their captain, Brock Besser, uh, to a another bridge deal, which I was fascinated by. Um, surprised they didn't go longer here with a guy, if, if you believe in his ability to lead the team, only three years at 6.65 per. It's in the William Nylander range, which is a great deal for them. Probably, uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm surprised that Brock didn't ask for more. At, at this stage in his career and what he's done for that Vancouver team. But I guess you look at kind of decreased offensive production from him the last couple of years. I don't know if he'll ever be there. Bonafide first line starting center, which is something they may need to address here in the draft. Uh, but a great player will always be in your top six. And if you're paying him 6.65 for the next three years, and he's going to be the leader of your team and, uh, and the cap will hopefully go up in, in two years time. Then that's, that's a nice deal. And they get him at a good number. I just think he probably could have gone for more uh, in, in the open market. Yeah. I, I mean, you bet on yourself a little taking these bridge deals that when your term is up and you're ready to sign another one, that's when you can go after those max numbers, which I don't think Bezer could reasonably ask for at this point in his career. Um man, the salary cap inflation on what a bridge deal is has really changed since like the Subban days. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I'm a fan of them for teams navigating the salary cap era and um, seems like a good move on both parts. There you go. All right. That's it for uh, NHL news. We'll move into Wimbledon now. Uh, a couple of great matches. Uh, Max, I don't know where you want to start. I have some thoughts on, uh, of course, Nick Kyrgios that I mentioned earlier, but uh, I'll leave the floor to you here to talk uh, talk Wimbledon tennis. Yeah, I've been wondering how to do this myself. Um, we are officially seven days, one week through Wimbledon. Uh, The final eight, the quarterfinals have been set. Uh, I'm just going to read out the last eight, and then we've got two games to talk about. So from the top of the draw down, we've got Novak Djokovic facing off against Yannick Sinner. Um, Shoot, I started out saying the first names, but I'm not sure if I'm, I know I'm not going to be able to keep that going. David Goffin. That was the one I was least confident in versus Cam Norrie, also in that top half. Then in the bottom, we've got Christian Guerin versus Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal versus Taylor Fritz. There we go. I'm confident in seven of those eight. 
Um, so yeah, as we mentioned last time, a relatively weak field in terms of top 10 talent with three names pulling out right before we got underway and another name injured. Um, so with four missing, it's maybe no surprise that Djokovic and Nadal, the only ATP top 10, uh, Nori and Sinner, I think both top 10 seeds this draw because of the aforementioned players who weren't in it. Taylor Fritz riding a record, um, a personal best, excuse me. I think his rank was 13 heading into this. And uh, the last thing I'll throw in before we get more specifics is uh, how good does it is it to be Christian Guerin in the first round you were supposed to go up against last year's finalist Matteo Berrettini Berrettini pulls out at the 11th hour and Guerin makes the most of a relatively weak um, part of the path you have to climb up but it is always a gauntlet and all the respect to whoever it is that makes it through um I guess we'll go to Kyrgios just because he's been much, much must watch television. Um, the match against Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little lost for words on how to begin describing it. So I'll let you start out. Well, he loves the mind games and he's one of those players that uh, has truly embraced maybe not the villain status, of what we've seen because I don't know was the villain that match if you listen to the crowd well that's the thing is Sitsi Pass is maybe the other most noted uh, player that is so divisive in the tennis community I didn't know this but what I learned is that there are a lot of people who aren't his biggest fan and so when we got to see the matchup between these two characters um, we uh, we got to see Nick Kyrgios not necessarily be the villain, but be the entertainer as he has been now for so, so many years. We get the uh, early serve from the, from the drop between his legs that, that leads to a point. And you could tell he was rent free in, in Sitsipas's head, the whole match. Uh, obviously Sitsipas, a guy who, who um, can get out of his head a little bit. And the mind games were really successful for Kyrgios in this game. And, uh, he showed once again, he's a great talent, um, and, and things can get away from him at times, but you gotta be there for the whole experience. And if you're tennis, you gotta love matches like that, even though, uh, the actions of Nick aren't always the best as an example setter, it can be intensely popular and drive a lot more viewership to your sport, which you gotta love. Last year when I made a more consistent effort than I usually do to get stuff on YouTube. Anything with Nick's name just did so much better. The man draws so many eyes. Um, and tennis is such an old school sport, and I don't hate that, all that class and tradition for the most part. Sometimes it's a bit absurd and ridiculous. Like, come on, Wimbledon, let people keep the balls they catch that don't if the only good reason you have is, well, we've been doing it this way forever, then you don't have any good reasons. Mm. Um, so honestly, hearing the commentators bemoan what Kyrgios was doing to the sport and how he should have been ejected from the match for his antics, uh, I 
was a bit, I started watching this towards the end of the third set. I was a bit surprised when I went out and researched what had happened in the earlier parts of the match. Uh, Kyrgios essentially screaming at the ref and refusing to play until a supervisors of the umpire were called in uh, because Tsitsipas hit a ball in frustration towards the crowd. Um, I, I actually think it was a somewhat valid point from Nick that if I had done that, I would have been kicked out. <laughs> but it, it's like you said, it, it's so, it feels like it's all mind games. It, it's hard to know when he is seriously upset with himself in his own head and when he is just trying to rattle his opponent. Like um, at one point, third, fourth set, he went down and like, it looked like there might be a match ending injury. He was just not moving, holding the hip and like treating it very gingerly for about two minutes. And then once he got up full mobility, watching the replay in slow-mo, you really could not see the moment where anything went out. Once he was on the ground, it very much seemed like match ending pain and like an unwillingness to move that body part. But he was so 100% fine. You forgot about it within seconds of him getting up and moving. It's really hard to not feel like that was a mind game. Um, but, but that's uh, enough about the antics because the tennis was sensational. Um, just the level of er mistake erasing that Kyrgios' serve brings Um reminds me of very few things in sports like Deontay Wilder's right hand um I guess John Isner a player who has that serve as well but it's a little different like Kyrgios will just check out at times but when he serves as well as he does it's it's just over um he won 81 percent of the points off his first serve and he put 71 percent of them in some of the sets he did even better numbers than that like i think the third set he had like a 77 percent getting his first serve in and those were all like north of 120 miles per hour it was untouchable um the solid in that third set um credit to city pass as much as nick definitely got in his head he was able to rally in the fourth set um he held his ground he really picked he responded to Kyrgios's fantastic serving with some fantastic serving of his own, put the pressure back, sent it to a brilliant shootout um, that saw them both holding serve in the tie break. But I want to walk you through these last three points by Kyrgioso because they were so beautifully. Um, so he had to serve to save set point misses his first dares to go for a serve and volley on his second charges the net gets the doesn't get a great winner or whack at it on his first attempt at the volley has to run across and puts a beautiful beautiful slice backhand to drop it just perfect touch a millimeter two degrees off and that was going out um, gentle genius there on a second one what happened? I wrote this down like four days ago. So I'm reading and trying to like visualize it in my mind. Uh, credit to Sitsipas for returning a first serve well. Um, 
but then he just like chooses his angle right doesn't need to do it incredibly hard on his forehand and gets Stefanos running and it's a soft enough forehand that with the stride Stitsy pass has he's able to put a lot of whack on it um I don't know what to make of Kyrgios's backhand he looks so casual doing it um but like the body language he doesn't look tense he looks kind of like half baked about it but for this shot, taking such a hard ball with so much confidence, all he had to do was redirect it cross court instead of keeping it on the trajectory the angle forced it at. And again, a brilliant touch to do it. So then serving for the match. I loved it. Or, excuse me, not serving for the match. Uh, he has to receive serve for the match. Gets the serve in. And he was holding it in his back pocket. Though. Uh, Sitsi passes backhand is a weekend of his the whole tour knows it but you've got to target the weaknesses at the right time and just no doubt in Kyrgios's mind with match point in play where he's going he just attacks the backhand viciously as soon as he has a whack at it gets Sitsipas moving and then hits a beautiful slice once he has Sitsipas in the backcourt where he wants him which again is just a perfect touch uh, he created his own shot with the vicious backhand targeting it's such cold-blooded ruthless intelligent tennis it almost feels bipolar when you see the man-child antics at sometimes to compare that like high iq cold-bloodedness and i had written that with Sitsipas beat he has an amazing shot at a deep run Kyrgios goes on to beat Nakashima uh, today in the fourth round, which gives him his quarterfinal spot. He'll be a favorite against Garen, likely to see Nadal. If Rafa can get over Fritz, who bested him at Indian Wells this March, uh, the injury playing some part in that. Um, but uh, history a little on Kyrgios's side for that Rafa matchup. Um, as that was really his debut to the tennis world, um, beating Rafa at Wimbledon as like a hundred something seed in the world. And yeah, um, a lot of eyes on Nick Kyrgios going into the second week of Wimbledon. Uh, and I'm here for it. Uh, bring on the entertainment. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Uh, lots of great stuff ahead. The draft, of course, more Wimbledon uh more more summer league and then of course baseball in the background the sport that probably should use the fourth of july as its big day of games um nba has christmas the nfl has thanksgiving and baseball has basically the month of october typically and they should do more to market their their sport on a day like today um i don't want to reset the zoom call to get one more match in so i'll just um in a microcosm say yannick sinner has no right to return serves on grass as well as he does he did a fantastic job against carlos alcaraz and um really looking forward to his match against Djokovic. Uh, that'll wrap up the tennis talk that'll wrap up this podcast it's been a pleasure as always oh uh, looking forward to the next one. And until then, Sports Next Door signing out.